0: John, we aren't perfect. Mm, Greg, we all make mistakes. Don't. You you will only start this way if you have fault to admit. So admit your faults, Greg. (laughs) Admit that what you did was wrong. We present ourselves as Oscar experts. Mm, One of us does. (laughs) One of us does. However, one of us presents themselves as an Oscar contrarian, and that would be moi. <laughs> <laughs> and you proved to be just as wrong as I was in terms of our predictions <laughs> on Oscar night. This is also true. This is also true. But apparently, no one was uh, no one was happy with the ultimate results. No, with well, the exception of Olivia Coleman winning. It, I'm glad you brought that up, and that's another reason that I want to apologize for. And that's my lack of tweets. Um, yes, we of course. Well, where were you, Greg? <laughs> where were the scolding hot takes? <laughs> that's the thing. The scolding hot, hot, hot takes tend to be negative. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be negative, especially because I'm glad you mentioned Olivia Coleman. That is pretty much the only speech that I liked.
1: Mm.
0: I literally, I I don't want to be a contrarian. Every other speech sucked. <laughs> I, I include Even Spike Lee. Lee's? No, I include Spike Lee. He he referenced the 2020 election because he like ran out of ideas. He's like, we got to affect change. Um, the new presidential election. Everybody's saying we got to do the presidential election. Give me some juice, Spike. I, at least he <laughs> at least he started his speech by uh, by swearing. Apparently that's. First of all, there was no reason for me to tweet because I was made. It was made immediately redundant by the great tweets by Kyle um, Buchanan, mm-hmm. the New York Times reporter, who was actually doing some shoe leather reporting from the Dolby Theater. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yes. Well, that's that's just not fair. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And he and he actually reported what Spike Lee said that was blacked out during the. Broadcast, he said, "Do not turn that motherfucking clock on." So I was expecting some real fire to come out of him, and instead, like, "Hey, vote in the 2020 election." That's weak tea, sir. No, (laughs) I I know how thirsty. I also know how thirsty Mister Lee is. And (laughs) look, the excitement, the excitement. No, no man, no, no one, even as stoic as Spike Lee, could. And hold within his enthusiasm for getting a golden statuette, come on well, no, because of course he wants that John again he's <laughs> as as the term is he's he's very woke, he's obviously very conscious of all the racial struggle that's been going on, and still ongoing, but that's not to say he's not thirsty for the accolade of an Oscar or attention, and unfortunately, well, I felt thing. like I felt like it was a bit of a miss last night. I felt like he could have brought more now. <laughs> All right, next time we'll see how woke you are when you get up there, okay? Just, You'll probably be <laughs> groveling and crying. That's, like, it, hey, that's, that's about the most generous thing everyone's ever said to me, John, when you get up there. <laughs> when, not even if. <laughs> Greg, look, you got to reach for those dreams, okay? Reach for yes. those dreams. And we know you'll make it there one day. But I, again, I don't want to be negative, but a lot of the other speeches uh, sucked. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to the costume design winner, Ruthie Carter, um, the <laughs> first black woman to ever win the award. But how did she open her speech? Struggling to open her phone to bring up the people <laughs> that she wants to thank. Um, she, obviously, she obviously rescued it with a, a strong vocal message at the very end. But uh, terrible, awful, makeup and hairstyling. Th- these three idiots couldn't even like, figure out who was going to speak first. <laughs> mm. And I was I was angry, and so I didn't want to broadcast that negativity uh, onto the Twitterverse. However, come to my surprise, at the very end of the night, because everyone's treating <laughs> Green Book a perfectly fine, like crowd pleasing movie as like as racist as Song of the South. <laughs> Are they treating it like Triumph of the Will? It's I know like... <laughs> how far we, how lowly we've become Look I know. at us as a people. We should have started with Breaking News. <laughs> a movie was that may not have deserved it has been handed best the Best Picture winner. Yeah. Look, it's like this is but this is what the Oscars do, do to people. It it makes people crazy. Like going way too far in either direction for a quality of an actual movie, which is it, most times it's just middle of the road and fine. Yeah. La La Land was fine. Mm-hmm. But no, it's like because it's like it represents Hollywood at its widest. <laughs> it's a nightmare. It's, it's it should be burned at the stake. <laughs> I, I'm glad you mentioned that because if, if you recall, La La Land did not win only two years ago. Instead, <laughs> in the in the wokest awards of, of all time, instead it went to Moonlight, a very unconventional choice, a brilliantly done film, you'll agree.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I don't remember, like, the sudden outpouring of, oh, the Academy has changed, and <laughs> the <laughs> Academy gets it right. Yes, <laughs> yeah, they, they never get any credit when they get it right. No. <laughs> and instead, it's going to be this year. And, yeah, you could also just see it in the broadcast, the whole thing deflated. Uh, partially also, like, Julia uh, Roberts having to do, like, a sign-off, like, Like at a PTA meeting. Like thanks everybody, goodbye. (laughs) Well, that's 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 what I always hate about the shows—the way they end it. Mm. Because again, they're like, especially this year, because they're trying to wrap it up so quickly. It's like it's always sporting actress first, and then three hours of nothing, and then uh oh, acting categories. Oh, best picture. All right, good night, bye. (laughs) (laughs) That's what every single year it feels like. Yeah, there was no host this year, and I didn't miss it. No. Did no, you? No one yeah. missed it. it no made, one missed it. <laughs> yeah, it made no difference, especially in the runtimes. The show was still three and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. So, like again, they the still point? have to hit all the same beats. The immemorium, yeah. the montages, the magic of moves. <laughs> the same little introduction. Well... You know, some of the some of the flair I did like, like uh, Keene and Michael Key um pair weighing down. Oh yes, that was that was my favorite part. <laughs> I think I did tweet about that. Yeah. I was like a show redeemed. <laughs> yes, <laughs> same with the banter between Aquafina and John Mullaney. That's good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, not a, not a complete wash, but yeah, it's it's like you can't win. So that's why I didn't even bother tweeting last night. Like, there's no winning with this award show. Well, no, the thing that you know what bothered me probably the most is the fact that everyone's Mm -hmm. like, they're not going to have a host. How's this show going to go? And then the first people that they are are brought on stage are Maya Rudolph, Amy Poehler, and Tina Fey. And everyone's like, why are they hosting? Like, oh, yeah, that's what's (laughs) going to solve it. More hosts, please. Give us three women up there instead. (laughs) It's like, no one one knows how to solve this thing, and no one cares, and everyone has different opinions. So why bother? Why bother? Just burn it all to the ground. I don't (laughs) know. No, John. Didn't they? Didn't you see the little uh, in award show ad for the new uh, <laughs> Academy Museum of uh, Filmmaking History that they're going to have? That's oh, that's uh, that's apparently co- They've been working on it for ten years, and it's just caused traffic in that area. <laughs> Added <in> fun item. <laughs> it's L.A. There's already going to be traffic. This is true. Yes. Yeah. And you I don't know, live you know. or work anywhere near there, so I don't care. <laughs> so thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't the George, Where's the George Lucas uh, Museum supposed to go? Uh, it's going to go in Chicago. I thought. That's what Yeah, that's what I thought too, but I thought they, they lost that, or I don't know. I, I yeah, it's like it. the Amazon deal of suddenly big news and then it went up in smoke just okay. as quickly. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Which, by the way, when I think Star Wars, I think Chicago. Mm. Chicago is just a city that screams Star Wars, don't you think? <laughs> well, it, well, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily which, which city had the, the closest cultural connection to Star Wars. <laughs> Instead, whoever was going to give us the tax breaks. Because yeah. okay, it may shock you, John. The, the museum's not going to be free of admission. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Are you telling me they're yes. going to try to make money? Of Star Wars, <laughs> the most a- amazing, artistic achievement human beings have ever created. Exactly. I, I thought they would have had enough, but apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would have fallen into the public domain by now, but mm, not if Mickey Mouse has some, anything <laughs> to do with it. No, sir. Mm. But I uh, bringing it back to, the, to what we're here to talk about today, yes. this is the Aspiring Snouse podcast, and we revisit classic movies, and we already brought up the fact that no one gives the Academy any credit for when they get it right. Mm. And that's why we're revisiting this particular movie today. Absolutely. Um, We wanted to revisit a movie that uh, we feel has kind of fallen out of the public consciousness. Uh, There was a lot surrounding it. Um, In particular, uh, its place in kind of racial culture as well, um, Mm -hmm. as well as Oscar culture and what kind of movies honored by the Academy and which movies don't. Um, Mm -hmm. So we wanted to talk about uh, the Best Picture winner only five years ago, 2013's (laughs) 12 Years a Slave.
1: Superb. Uh, a moment, please. Oh, Mr. Ford. Please. Eliza! How much for the little girl? Uh, you have no use for her. One so young will bring oh, you no profit. No, 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 I cannot sell the girl. No, there's please. heaps and piles of money to be made from her. She's a beauty, one of the regular bloods. You know, Not a thick-lipped, bullet-headed, cotton picking here. A child, man. For God's sake, you're not sentimental, priest. Ah, oh, my sentimentality extends the length of a coin. Now, do you take this lot, oh, Mr. or Do you pass on them all? Please, please, please. I will take the one's plat and Eliza. sold. Oh, no. Eliza and plat,
0: it! No, and it hit it at just the right opportunity, right in between crash and hashtag Oscar Soap. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well not not exactly between i I did want to issue a small correction. You said that this was the the impetus for Oscars so White it was actually the the awards the following year no that yeah, that's what I'm saying oh, okay. is that this happened just before that, and again yeah. they they get no credit for it and that, no that's the thing that always kind of like bothered me is the fact that it's not just but you're right like like, on the one hand, I do want to give the Academy credit for honoring a film by a black, uh, you know, with a predominant black cast by a black filmmaker. On the other hand, you're absolutely right. It does fall into the wheelhouse of what the Academy likes to see and what they tend to honor. Yes, um, because this is a, and um, the American Hustle pastiche this, but um, every black <laughs> black actor has to play a slave at one point. <laughs> And this this is what people felt like. It also got the moniker, like, White Guilt the Movie. Like, <laughs> But it wouldn't have gotten that moniker if it wasn't so dang effective. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to bring up. This was my second time seeing it, but I couldn't remember a lot of the details. And that's because I kind of blocked it out. Uh, <laughs> this, this starts as a... Pres- prestige picture but then becomes a horror film Um, it's based on (laughs) (laughs) it's based on uh, a memoir by Solomon Northup who was a, a a free man a free black man living in Saratoga New York he got kidnapped and then was sold into slavery and lived for 12 years as a slave in Louisiana Mm-hmm, indeed and steve mcqueen who is the writer and director apparently uh or he wanted to write a movie about you know a slave who's trapped in, or a black man who's trapped in slavery and you know ended up ended up finding this autobiography and ended up adapting that instead or actually it was written by uh john ridley who he, i've never heard of yes play. i believe there was some speaking of a little kind of behind the scenes drama there was a little consternation because they worked on the the screenplay separately or collaborated, but John Ridley ended up getting sole credit. Ah, that's right. And now I remember the, the clapping. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the modest clapping you saw during the Academy Awards mm-hmm. where Steve McQueen couldn't even bother to drum up any enthusiasm. Mm. Well, also, because uh, speaking of Oscar history, a lot of the times the Oscars does come down to two contenders. And this year it was the the prestige drama, or the, the, the vegetables, the, the, <laughs> the tough degradation that we saw in 12 Years a Slave, or the majestic Hollywood entertainment that was Gravity. Oh, um, okay. So that was kind of the, the Oscars choice, and I, I believe they made the right one, because yeah, Gravity, uh, th- no matter what a technical achievement it is, it is still like a conventional, somewhat dull survival story. Empty spectacle, kind yeah. of empty. <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's be honest. And, I, I will... mean, it's no Lee Daniels the butler, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> But, John, we're kind of bearing the lead here. Again, we're talking about externalities here. What did you think? Let's just judge the movie on its own right. What did you think of 12 Years a Slave? Um, Same uh, feelings I had about uh, Schindler's List, which is a fantastic achievement, absolute masterpiece. Mm. I can wait as long as I can to ever revisit this movie because (laughs) it is emotionally draining watching this movie. Yes. but it is it is obviously really well done. It is a, quite a masterpiece. And um, I'm not a big fan of long takes. And, uh, mm. But for some reason, they really work here. And I think the thing I love most about the movie is actually the sound design. Like, it's extremely oppressive. Like, yes. the way that just like the, the setting of it is the antebellum south, kind of deep in Louisiana. And just the cicadas are just always blaring on the soundtrack. And they really add a certain level of discomfort. And. You know, all the performances are absolutely fantastic. This was uh, Lupita Nyong'o's first film, and oh boy, Mm. (laughs) (laughs) what a a job she had. (laughs) Well, let's start with that kind of artistic achievement, and as you said, the long takes. That's the one thing I I took away the first time viewing, and the second time really was kind of the technical achievement it is. As you said, sound design and long takes. Mm Because I know long takes, you know, long sequences of no edits are a filmmaker's chance to kind of show off and really, Mm -hmm. like, impress people. However, I think here they really do bring across just the travesty that slavery was because the camera doesn't cut away from the horrors that it's depicting. Um, The first one I see is when Solomon Northup wakes up after a long night Uh, They're at the end of this tour. He's a violinist and -hmm. he gets hired by two kind of sideshow circus performers under the auspices Mm -hmm. that he's performing for the circus but on the last stop in Washington DC right on the Mason Dixon line he gets kidnapped and the following morning is when it's clear that he's going to be sold into slavery and he gets whacked on the back and the paddle actually like breaks and then the the guy walks out of frame and comes back with another paddle that breaks and breaks it across his back all in a yeah, exactly. kind of uncut sequence and yeah it's it's clear from it's it's using the tool of cinema, in this case, an unbroken shot, um, to really communicate something. In this case, it's the horrible oppression of slavery. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a pretty effective when it does cut, because he's clearly been kidnapped, and mm-hmm. really we only kind of see you know him talking to these guys, and then he just wakes up in chains the next yes. day. <laughs> and you know that's kind of one of the weird things about this movie, is the fact that the timeline is very loose because again we're we're it's very episodic. We're capturing a lot of different moments and it'll just kind of like cut very abruptly to a scene that could be years later for all we know. Yeah. And it's it's very harsh. He goes through a lot he has a lot of different masters throughout the movie, so and we don't really get the full scope or story on why he went from one place to another. Uh but, you know, then we get those long takes. I think the one that stands out the most is the uh, almost he almost gets lynched at one hmm. point by Paul Daniels' character, and uh, we just get, like, it feels like five solid mil- minutes of him just barely on his tippy toes, barely surviving as just uh, just a lovely pastoral scene happens right behind him <laughs> as everyone just tries to get about their business. Exactly. We're laughing, but it's, it's horrific. Like We're how... laughing because it's, it's horrifying. <laughs> yes, it's, it's horrific. A man is, is literally dying in front of our faces, but this kind of oppression is now so commonplace that kids just accept it as well as women just kind of look on. Mm-hmm. There are two women on a porch also in the background. I'm not sure if it's deep focus or not, but it's clear they're prominent in the frame, and they just look on as if this is normal somehow. And again, it's Steve McQueen using all the tools in his in his tool belt to kind of really communicate uh, j- just how deplorable these practices were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad you brought up the sound design because another moment that really, another moment that really stuck out to me. He makes, he does make friends along. He's not the only slave, uh, the, the only slave. Excuse me, <laughs> the only free man who's been kidnapped into slavery. Mm-hmm. And so he does make uh, some companions along the way, including Eliza, who's. So, tragically, had her children like literally ripped from her and sold to another master. It's it's mm-hmm. heartrending, and you get this Oscar moment where you know Solomon Northup intones like I'm not going to fall into despair. Like you know, stop crying, Eliza. She can she can barely contain her grief at this point, but her crying then bleeds into a sermon given by the master. <laughs> And again, not to not to laugh. We're not making light of this, but it's amazing how effective it is. Like yeah. how in that transition it's like a it's like a sonic transition in terms of she's she's crying literally during the sermon and, you know, she eventually gets whisked away following that. It's just another person who kinda of, who gets ripped out of Solomon Northup's life. But it's just another, you know, great moment using all the all the filmmaking magic that we have to communicate something, you know, as effectively and horrible as effective as the horror of slavery is. Mm. Exactly, and all from the director and star of Bullet. Holy cow!
1: <laughs>
0: okay, we should probably explain. Uh, <laughs> Steve, not that Steve, McQueen, not that McQueen, Steve, who died many years earlier, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're more familiar with uh, Steve McQueen than I am. This is actually the first time I've ever actually seen a movie directed by him. But he also did um, – he works frequently with Michael Fassbender, and so he's done a movie – I know he's done a few movies like Hunger and Shame. Yeah, first movie with all, with a, more than one word in the title. <laughs> yes, and I think um, what makes this movie so effective is that he is working from kind of the, this basis of, of history. Same with Hunger. Um, I think he's really good at kind of communicating the, the personal toil. I think it's better when he's working from a historic kind of perspective or somebody else's story, um, Mm -hmm. because shame he tried to, and well, what he really tries to do is communicate a lot of psychological issues. And I think when it's based in history, in real experiences, it's much more effective than uh, the fictional ones as what happened in Shame, uh, mm-hmm. when he's trying to communicate uh, sex addiction, which is something that very few people can identify with. <laughs> also trying to use... Uh, or everyone can identify with it yeah. to a certain extent. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was just me. But also um, using more improvisational techniques from... Uh, actors who were not trained in such in such ways <laughs> as mm. Carrie Mulligan and Michael Fassbender were not. We are.
1: We are. We are. Awesome. All right, you good? Clear so it out. Two, roll three, one. I live or die. But you are a marvel. What took you so long? Thank you, Master
0: Foy. Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, again, you have you seen widows? I don't, can you really <laughs> no, speak I mean, to this no, kind of thing? No. See,
0: there we go. <laughs> How can we trust you, Greg? How can we trust you? <laughs> Well John, where where were its Oscar nominations? Hmm? Mm. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Oh, Oscar's so white again. <laughs> when when are the Oscars gonna, no, uh, gonna recognize Viola Davis, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I exactly. Gosh. <laughs> She's only been nominated, what, like three times? Yes. <laughs> exactly three times. Way to go, bro. <laughs> ah, see, I'm i yeah, I'm so smart. I'm so smart. But anyway, yeah. Twelve years. Let's today. yes, let's let's talk to you brought her up earlier, Lapita Nuango. Mm-hmm. Because although there were two acting nominations, she took home the gold back in 2013. Excuse mm-hmm. me, 2014, because that's when... Were... <laughs> yes. Um, she's a Yale drama school student, obviously a tremendously talented actress. It's her first on-screen performance. Uh, but one thing I forgot is actually how little she is in the movie, because mm-hmm. it's very episodic, and um, Solomon Northup unfortunately gets handed across many different plantations, and mm-hmm. she's not really in it until about the third act. No, and this, is, this takes the longest stretch of the movie, which is mm. he's on the plantation of Michael Fassbender's Master Epps, who is this kind of preacher and cotton farmer and just an overall louse, just a complete drunk. And yes. he's just kind of, he's, he's clearly lost. like, that's actually one of the things I think uh, the movie deserves a lot of credit for. It is not not, I mean, obviously it captures the horror of, of slavery, but what it also kind of captures is a certain level of intimacy and just kind of how savage it is on all ends whereas like it's very easy to kind of put forward the normal kind of power dynamic it's like the whites are always in charge and they're always beating on their slaves and it's like throughout the movie you get a lot of scenes where they're they 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 kind of want to beat up Sol- uh, Solomon but he actually gets the upper hand and there's struggles mm. and there's tussles and there's arguments yes and it's like it's a back and forth and ultimately the power dynamic doesn't change but it's like it, it's it's a more nuanced kind of portrayal of what I think we're more used to seeing um with the exception of course with the uh, Lupita Nyong'o character who plays uh, Patsy mm. and uh, so she's she's uh, master Epps' particular favorite mm. uh, you can and unfortunately that's not that doesn't get her a lot of favor <laughs> um. <laughs> well in yes in the wrong ways favorite in that she's the most productive worker like she literally picks more than twice what n- solomon can do mm-hmm in terms of um, their, um, uh, I don't want to say cotton-picking, but <laughs> I mean, that's what it is, right Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> In terms of their um, harvesting prowess, but also uh, it's clear that he's also physically attracted to her. Yeah, exactly. And we do get one, uh, what's, it's a rape scene, uh, mm. and that's uh, very unpleasant. Yeah. Um, and it also kind of, uh, it leads into an interesting dynamic between uh, the Epsis uh, his wife is played by uh, Sarah Paulson, yes. who's just just an absolutely repugnant character. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the nuances because uh, and the Peter Nwango is unfortunately like the victim in all her scenes. There's only one scene, and it's her Oscar moment. It's during this four minute unbroken shot where she's coming back from another plantation where she's received much more favorably, like she's allowed to sit down with tea, mm-hmm. and that's something that obviously doesn't happen on Mister Epps's farm. And it's when she comes back and she defends herself, like, saying, like, yes, I went there to go get soap because I'm going to be clean. But the rest of the time, yeah, she's the the victim of rape. Um, she's uh, the victim of a horrible whipping, mm-hmm. um, which is also shown for the horror that it is. And also, she she's uh, pretty much the same kind of um, doting, productive worker that she is the entire time. So there's not really an arc that her character goes through other than that moment where she is rebellious. Exactly. So... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why this particular performance got nominated, where, say, the the a woman who played Elsa. I'm gonna butcher her name here, but I, I due day, You know why? Why Lupita Nyong'o's like uh, got the attention? Maybe it's because she had that Oscar moment. But you know, Elsa Eliza's character goes through pretty much the same thing. Um, um, sort of. I mean, there is that kind of undercurrent, uh, and there's a kind of continuous theme about survival. Mm. And it's about do whatever you have to in order to just get through it and live, because again, like we, the threat of death is always a constant with the with the threat of lynching, and yeah. so the uh, the reason why she gets to have tea is because there was another slave who was kind of in the same situation as her, and basically because she was a sex object, she's basically worked her way up to being a house slave, and now she's treated kind of. Properly, almost as an equal human being, obviously yeah. not, but yeah. and you know it's kind of implied that it's like, oh, this is what Patsy has to do in order to just improve her station in life. Mm-hmm. And again, what Solomon uh, Solomon says to Eliza, you know, keep your chin up. I do whatever I have to to survive. Mm-hmm. And again, just capturing the whole savagery of the whole system and what people ended up having to do to survive because it's not yeah, and it's not just you know what this system does to you know the poor black. You know bodies, but also you know the mental state of the whites, who you know mm. kind of are driven mad by this whole system, and you know like how they kind of reconcile the fact that you know they treat them like cattle, but also they're quite clearly human beings. Yeah, I, I guess that's that's a good point. Uh, maybe there is more nuance that I saw there, or at least I didn't recognize in Patsy's character um, until we fleshed it out a little bit. However, looking at Sarah Paulson's character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the jealous Miss Epps who jealously looks on at, at uh, Patsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't see a lot of like nuance there. I guess it's more of trying to defy expectations mm-hmm. because we would assume that, you know, obviously we see that the men are pretty abhorrent in, in the way they treat slaves, particularly Michael Fassbender's character. Um, and so we, in contrast, or at least the way that movies usually play out, the wife is the sympathetic one. Mm-hmm. But that's certainly not the case with Sarah Paulson's character. She she really looks on Patsy with contempt. She physically assaults her several times in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we kind of get a similar thing with uh, Ford's wife as well. Yes. Ford is played by Benedict Cumberbatch, and he's the he's the supposedly the good master. Yes, um, you know the one who's kind of like kind and appreciates Solomon for his talents and. Um, you know at one point someone challenges him Is like oh yeah t- tell him tell him your situation and let's see how empathetic he is Come on. Mm. <laughs> yes and obviously that's exactly what happens yeah. um, and i mentioned the the crying like eliza is so grief-stricken by having her children from her she can't sit through uh, master ford's sermon mm. and she has her sends away which is a repeat of what eliza explains earlier like the the the, the the head matriarch of the house didn't like me, so she sent me away. And so it's just mm. kind of history repeating itself, unfortunately. But it turns out the women have more power than we give them credit for. So yay, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's defying expectations, and there are a few other scenes that do that. Particularly um, on in transit to Louisiana, uh, Solomon Northup is shackled up, and he starts talking with another freed man who's been kidnapped. And it appears like there's going to be some kind of revolt or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, come, it, when it comes time to the dock and they announce his name, oh, he immediately rushes back to his master's hands. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, obviously, it just, it's just another devastating moment. Well, that's just the first in what are several devastating moments for <laughs> Solomon Northup. The other one being later in the story, there's a white man who actually has to encounter the same uh, labor as slaves yes. do. Yes, he's an indentured servant, but mm-hmm. uh, he obviously gets treated much better because he's a white man. He's actually getting paid for his services. Yes. <laughs> um, but Solomon kind of, like, pleads and begs him to send off this letter. This whole time he's been trying to write this letter home, and hopefully he can kind of get saved um or at least some kind of justice can be done and of course <laughs> this guy turns him in immediately <laughs> yeah. and we get that you know that very famous shot of him and uh, Michael Fassbender Michael Fassbender kind of confronts him and he puts his arm around him and it's lit by that lantern and that i, I just remember that still being everywhere when this movie came out mm. it, yeah i i give credit to Michael Fassbender cuz it's very histrionic and a very showy performance Con- yeah, that's actually kind of all the all the roles that white men get in this movie. <laughs> we also get Paul Giamatti as the actual like slave trader, and mm-hmm. he's you know doing his classic Paul Giamatti stick. <laughs> I mean, besides the you know the copious use of the N word, like it's very much like I'm John Adams, and I'm here to tell you that's yes. Not- <laughs> so and I. I guess you're right. Every like, other than Chiwetel Ejiofor, who got nominated for best supporting Act, he's by far the best actor and best performance in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm particularly I'm particularly thinking of a scene when uh, he's attending a funeral of a slave. Mm-hmm. And they start singing like on the banks of the River Jordan, and initially he doesn't follow along. But over the course of this like two minute unbroken cut, he starts singing along and starts bawling. Like it's a, it's a performance that conveys worlds. But I do want to give Michael Fassbender credit because it, he's much more histrionic and showy, but somehow it works. Like the way he hangs his arm on Solomon Northup in that scene. The other one when he he has to he his crops have died and he has to send some of his slaves off. Uh, just to make some money, and when they come back, he's actually holding a young girl, and there's something, and there's something about the way too that he that he like holds her and and kind of pats the other slaves on the back as as a uh, not only they've returned but the crops have returned, and he's convinced <laughs> that there's some kind of you know spiritual element to it, like uh, like one of them's bedeviling the farm <laughs> with his uh, with his negative attitude or something. Yeah, it's 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 a yeah. You're, it's definitely histrionic, but it definitely mm-hmm. I think works for the role because again, he's trying to capture that kind of like madness and that you know level of drunkenness. Like it's almost it's almost like Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf yeah. <laughs> between him and his wife, <laughs> <laughs> and just the fact that alcohol plays such an important role in you know who he is. And, again, like, compared to all the other ones, like, even even Benedict Cumberbatch, like, he's he's trying so hard, but he just cannot do an American accent. (laughs) Look, Benedict, you got that great voice. Just stick with it, okay? We don't want to hear you voice the Grinch, okay? Stop it. (laughs) And then I think, uh, you know, Paul Dano, he's also kind of giving, like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the bad overseer kind <laughs> of role. <laughs> well, but I'll thankfully, s- he gets beat up for, because of it. And you can't say that there's never been a bad movie where Paul Dano gets beat up. Absolutely let's not. Just, no. Let's just put that forward. No. And also, it, it, it would hopefully finally settle on what, whether he's doing a Southern accent or not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Roger, Ro, Roger Ro. My soul will rise in heaven, Lord, for the year when Jordan rolls. Hallelujah! Roll, roll to Jordan, Jordan, roll, roll, Jordan, roll. Jordan, roll. My soul will rise in heaven, Lord, for the year when Jordan rolls. Everybody say, Roll, Jordan, roll, roll, Jordan, roll. roll, Jordan, roll. My soul will rise in heaven, Lord, for the year when Jordan Roll, Jordan, roll. Roll, Jordan, roll. As My soul arises in heaven, Lord, for the year we draw.
0: One thing, if if we have any criticisms for the movie, maybe it is trying to be a little bit too self-reflective for me, Mm -hmm. because again, like defying your expectations first with that um, slave who speaks defiantly, but then rushes back to the arms of his master. Also, the character played by Garrett Dillahunt, who thinks like he's going to be a sympathetic uh, ear uh, to Solomon, and turns out he isn't. Um, So, so I think it's trying to defy expectations. However, there is still as, as these movies must, John. There's still a white savior, isn't there? Oh, there always is. There always is. In yes. the role of Vlad, Brad Pitt, the part he was born to play. Yes. In the movie he's producing. What a coincidence. That he... <laughs> I know. Well, okay, so he defended that. He had, Obviously, yeah. he plays he plays a Canadian yeah. named Bass, <laughs> or Bass, yeah um, and he, he's, he's the he's the woke one. He understands yeah. that, you know, like, oh, just imagine tomorrow. You know, you could be the one in chains. you never know. Yes, anyone. he works <laughs> alongside the slaves, whereas uh, Epps and the other masters do not. Mm-hmm. And he understands that, you know, they are human beings, and this is a deplorable system. Yes. Um Obviously, Brad Pitt is a producer, and everyone was like, oh, so you cast yourself as you know the hero of the movie, basically, yes. the one who ends up reaching back out to the north and getting uh, Solomon Northup saved. Um, turns out, the way he described it as well, obviously, we could get the funding if, they, if I said I was in the movie. Obviously, everyone's mm-hmm. throwing money at a movie with Brad Pitt in it. So... Yeah. <laughs> And that was the case in in foreign territories. Even though Chuatel Ejiofor is a star, he doesn't have the same draw as Brad Pitt. So even though Brad Pitt's in all of say five minutes of the movie, they mm-hmm. stick him on the poster. Um, and I do have to give him credit. It's not it's not a very showy performance. No, and that's again, not like, true. We're, yeah. yeah, and we're making fun of it for being like, "Oh, the one woke white guy." But yeah. it's you know, it's like it's it's still pretty even keel. It's still pretty well done. Yeah, and as far as I know, I didn't actually check the historicity of this, but that's <laughs> probably that might be how the real Solomon Northup was rescued from the servitude. <laughs> and that is also true. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like, you can't help but, you know, stick out like a sore thumb. Like, mm-hmm. like what is this, Ocean's Eleven? Like, know. you know, when they cast <laughs> friggin'... They cast. Well, that's the funny thing. Uh, you and I are movie snobs, so we kind of recognize, like, uh, my main man Scoot McNary and <laughs> SNL alum Taron Killam are in two supporting roles. And yeah, like, uh, Paul Giamatti, and yeah, we can kind of, like, recognize. And maybe it takes us savvy movie viewers out of it. But that doesn't take away from how effective it is in showing how poor and and terrible the practice of slavery was. And again, th- the scene still works. And again, like mm-hmm. plot-wise, um, I think the the reco- the not, not reconciliation, but the the rescue scene works on a lot of levels. And obviously, it doesn't doesn't give us a lot of the whole backstory about how he like fought legally for you know to bring the people who kidnapped him to justice, or mm-hmm. at least attempted to. But, you know, it's very effective. They keep it focused on, you know, the reuniting of his family. And, you know, like, and that's also kind of the, one of the weird things about the, the movie's timeline is, like, all of a sudden we see, like, oh, wait, it has been 12 years, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now he's, like, kind of great, even though through all the scenes we have seen him in, he hasn't really physically aged much. The makeup hasn't really changed. Yeah, it's it wasn't until that last scene that I really noticed it. um, Mm-hmm. Maybe his his face looking a little bit paler and, and some white specks in his hair. It wasn't until that very last scene that I got a sense that twelve years had in fact passed. And I think that was probably an intentional choice, um, because this is a, a two-hour-plus movie. It's supposed to be um, long and and painful to reflect the long, painful history of slavery in the U.S. So I kind of un- I kind of understood that, and I it wasn't say like. Um. Uh, to use an example like there will be blood jumping ahead like 20 years and the characters still look the same it wasn't as say distracting as that I, I could kind of understand the, the artistic choice there just a bastard from a basket <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, where was those memorable scenes, huh? I mean, other than she would tell Edgy a 4 I will not fall into despair until freedom is opportune. <laughs> until freedom is opportune. Again, there's no bad movie where Paul Dano gets beat up, so... Nice. <laughs> don't believe me, Daniel! Yeah, Except for maybe Cowboys and Aliens, I don't know. No. <laughs> I, I assume he gets beat up in that one. On. I, probably, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like... Obviously, this is a great movie, but isn't it mm. wrong that you know a movie about American slavery is brought to us by British people Does that feel inauthentic <laughs> to you? Well, no, because obviously our the part of a white slaver, or excuse me, the white white slaver, <laughs> the part of a white savior is uh, from our neighbor to the north, who obviously are f- far more progressive and loving than us. Uh, I guess this is true. <laughs> it's yes, not I... like slavery there ended o- only ten years prior or something. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Well, they speak the Queen's English, so clearly they're more sophisticated. Yes. <laughs> they recognize the monarchy, so yes. clearly they know what's going on. Yes. <laughs> By the way, that was also a little, uh, if we could fact check a movie. If you remember the movie The Hurricane, mm. um, about the wrongful imprisonment of... Uh, well, even that's sort thrown of into dispute. The <laughs> imprisonment of uh, uh, Reuben the Hurricane Carter. Mm-hmm. They fudged the facts in terms of, oh, it couldn't just be any lawyers who uh, helped exonerate him. It had to be Canadian lawyers. Uh, of course. <laughs> of <yeah>. course. <laughs> that's a little detail they invented for the movie. But anyway. Oh, gosh. <sighs> yeah. Next you're going to tell me JFK was not based in complete factual accuracy. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Oscar movies get nominated for a reason. Their Fidelity, Greg. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Like Bohemian Rhapsody. And hence, Green hence why Green Book. Yes, won. <laughs> won the Best Picture Oscar. Who's this?
1: He's my husband. Husband? It is very good to meet you, sir. We have much a going thing to do. Yes, sir.
0: And this is your grandson,
1: Solomon Northamston.
0: think we can repeat it enough this is a a very well done and a very effective film Mm -hmm. um in spite of all the externalities that go around that surround it um this is still a a supremely effective work i'd say on the triumph of roots um if we're going to compare it to another slave narrative which sadly there's not too many of again Mm -hmm. probably because economically there's probably not a lot of thirst for it but (laughs) no and I, i that's what i was trying to i was kind of in the back of my head, like a American shuffle, like obviously pestishing, like, oh, if you're a black actor, like your only roles are going to be in this kind of narrative or something.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And and I don't know, maybe like the appetite for this kind of story, hopefully not the, the, hopefully we don't bury the history, but maybe the appetite for this kind of story is, is waning. And we're allowed to see, or at least empowered to see a different kind of black story, one that's hopefully enfranchised and you know, not not the source of kind of ridicule and degradation that obviously slavery was. So, I mean, that's kind of like I I was you know I couldn't help but think about Django Unchained when I was watching this because again like the <laughs> same kind of thoughts thoughts popped in my head. It's like, well, that is kind of a different slave story. Again, stuff yeah. coming from a white guy, yeah. so obviously not maybe the right voice, but yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of a, a fantastical empowerment story instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Not to say I mean, that you know there's, not to say that there's a diminished value in either, but no, there's room for both. In the yeah, world. I'll I'll say that much. Yes, yeah. so we're <laughs> thankful just... to live in a, a free American society where we can see both. <laughs> exactly, guys, isn't freedom of expression? And great? and both can be honored with and be validated with golden statues. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank you, Academy. Mm-hmm. Well, Greg, mm. we've 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 shown a spotlight. We've shi- we've shined a spotlight on racism in America. That's, absolutely, hey. Folks, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a service here, guys. Did yes. you know America has a racist past? Right? Mm-hmm. You do now. Yes. But you know what? I think we should t- we should turn our spotlight to something a little more positive. What do you say? Uh, sure. Although something I have um, <laughs> it's just as racially conscious. But yeah, let's get to it. Okay then. Well, let's call this segment. What should we call it? Ooh, how about uh uh ooh spotlight? Spotlight. 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 It's time,
1: Robbie. It's time.
0: That's good. Um, It's a shame, John, that Roma did not bring home the Best Picture Oscar, because I have another potentially Oscar-winning contending movie (laughs) that's available now on Netflix. Oh, boy. Yes, a Netflix (laughs) original. But, Greg, it's coming out in February. It's not going to get nominated now. I know. It's probably not going to get nominated unless uh, 2019 is a very down year for movies. But (laughs) (laughs) we'll see. I want to talk about Steven Soderbergh's uh, latest experiment, although I put that in air quotes, uh, now available on Netflix called High Flying Bird. Oh, okay. Yes. I thought you were going to talk about Unsane, but all right. Let's, <laughs> let's hear about no, this John. weird. I uh, shot it on iPhones. <laughs> yes. Um, this is his, I believe, fourth movie since coming out of retirement. <laughs> and the second that he's shot entirely on an iPhone. Oh, great. Great. Yes. <laughs> but unlike Unsane, this is, well, I guess you could say this is a genre movie, but this uh, centers on uh, a, a um, an NBA lockout. And basically, the role of, say, black athletes have in the marketplace, or some other broad terms like that. Um, (laughs) It's written by Terrell Alvin McCranley, um, the Oscar winning uh, writer behind Moonlight. Um, So it's very socially conscious in terms of the story that it's telling. It is about an agent um, who's representing an athlete who's locked out by the NBA owners. Um, And unfortunately, he's he's kind of in, he's out of luck in terms of. you know, his commission, he's going to lose his job at the agency and he's got to come up with something while his player is not playing. Right, John? Of course. Of course. So like a, like a great ocean's 11 movie, right in, or Logan lucky, right in Soderbergh's wheelhouse. (laughs) (laughs) He comes up with a plan to basically, uh, Put forward a a basketball player as an individual, as individuals, and sets up these kind of like one-on-one matchup as a way to empower uh, a black athlete over the uh, predominantly white ownership of NBA teams. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a heist movie. Well, it seems like a heist movie in that characters are kind of scheming behind the scenes and trying to get away with something. But the the movie's kind of real spiritual sister is all about Eve. 'Cause that's what the movie felt like. Uh even though um McCranley's other work, Moonlight, the only other screenplay that he's worked on, is very down to earth, very realistic, I think you'll agree. Mm-hmm. Here here it's a lot more like kind of crackerjack dialogue. Like it's like seatbelts, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like kind of yeah it it is like kind of get your popcorn ready like everyone kind of intones like serious things and <laughs> kind of has double meaning and, and subtext behind everything and again taking place all behind the scenes like although it's it's nominally a basketball movie the only basketball you see is glimpse through like viral videos of this one-on-one matchup designed to again empower like set up by this agent to empower the black athletes and show that you know they can they can maintain their status without the NBA okay and again, like, it's captured on iPhones. So there's that intimacy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because what's also the, the other interesting thing behind the movie is that um, Netflix is trying to court these filmmakers who are obviously very traditional and want to see their movies on the big screen mm-hmm. and especially don't want to see it as kind of have this uh, direct-to-video uh, reputation that Netflix may, uh, be- that Netflix may have. I mean, did you see the Cloverfield Paradox? Come on, <laughs> where, would everyone, where would anyone get that idea? Exactly. The Fundamentals of Caring almost almost took home awards. But. <laughs> but, I mean, that's what's great about Netflix. It's like Amazon. It's like you could pay the $10 or the $12 iPhone charger. One of them will work. You just yeah. got to take your chances. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad he's, he, Soderbergh's taking a chance on Netflix because he actually insisted, no, I don't want it in theaters. But there's a way that he shot it that it really stands out on a television. (laughs) Okay. Because not only is it shot on an iPhone and kind of has this kind of hyper real, like high definition look to it, but he also used these super wide lenses, um, which creates some interesting framing, especially when this movie is all just one-on-one conversations pretty much. That you know, it really it really wrapped my attention. Not just like kind of the Crackerjack dialogue that McCranley came up with, but also just the way that uh, each film shot. I mean, obviously some of the shots are overdone. In the opening scene, it starts with it starts with this long tracking shot that kind of opens you into this conversation, and you get a shot reverse shot, but then you get like a the camera's overhead and the camera's like breaks the line, though <laughs> <laughs> the, the the 180 degree rule and it's over there, and that's that's a little bit too much. But the rest of the time, it is it is more compelling than. Say, any any scene of just two guys talking about you know a a, a shoe contract or something has any right to be? <laughs> I also want to so give... you're saying it's a movie for sneakerheads. Good. Yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I don't think there's a whole lot of sneaker talk, but it is got kind of on that kind of level about basketball. One one point out of its favor though is that um, McCranley is a uh, award winning playwright and an Oscar winner. No. Uh, whereas I am a uh, have been a sports fan all my life and dick around, and I dick around on the internet all day so my sports literacy may be a little bit higher than his how dare you Greg? <laughs> he probably spent hours researching barstool sports <laughs> and the SB Nation so he could find just the just the juge mm, uh, well, <laughs> how do no, I capture how these people speak <laughs> well no clearly all he did was read a book called The Revolt of the Black Athlete by Dr. Harry Edwards um, mm-hmm. Which is about of uh, kind of the empowerment of black athletes. The cover depicts the uh, famous black power salute on the on the po- on the Olympics podium mm-hmm. um, after the um, I forget what event it was, but um, Mexican uh, Su- uh, Mexico City Olympics. Yes, in Mexico City. Yeah, but um, yeah, that that basically you know. That book in tones that you know wants the the athletes to take power and suggests that oh uh, basketball players can just do that on one on one you know court fights or something like that like and one real summer hoops or something. (laughs) Um, But I have seen and one real summer hoops and this uh, all stars league you know involving now retired players playing three on three and I know that in practice it doesn't quite work. So (laughs) so that was that was one thing that I couldn't accept. Uh, (laughs) All right, fair. Sorry, Mister McCranley, but. (laughs) So that's the only thing that kind of strains credulity, but again, really good direction, really good writing, and of course, finally the performances. Uh, Andre Holland, who plays the oldest Kevin in um, Moonlight, does a really good job in the lead role. Uh, the real scene stealer, though, is of course Bill Duke, uh, <laughs> Mac from Predator. You may remember him. He plays this. Jeez, mm-hmm. uh, I can't. I don't know how old he is. Um, it turns out Black does crack, <laughs> but ouch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just saying, appearance-wise, he's he's, he's he's not looking great. But in terms <laughs> also, of, I think he also played Boulevard Trask in X Men: The Last Stand. Come on. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's yeah. <laughs> him. But he plays he plays this gym owner and this really hard-ass coach. And in terms of intoning his seniority, he does a he does an exceptional job. So okay. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's 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 free with your subscription. Like you know, you're just dropping ten dollars every month. So yeah, just check out High Flying Bird and make it worth it. Enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I maybe check out, but I haven't checked out Velvet Buzzsaw yet. I'm not catching up on any Netflix movies. I'm really disappointing, guys. No, <laughs> well, I, I believe this one was uh, better critically received than Velvet Buzzsaw, but oh, okay, yeah, we'll you get we'll bit, get to Velvet Buzzsaw eventually. You were really excited for that one. I was, um, but then the critics were just like, "Oh, this is just a the horror movie with an A, A plus cast." <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it turns out this this art world is full of phonies. Can you believe it? <laughs> what? <laughs> Scathing hot takes, Greg. Scathing, hot I know. Takes. I know. That's <laughs> uh, satire. Burned all right now. It. Get the chamomile, <laughs> or chamomile, Cal- galamine, whatever. <laughs> right, it's fine. Mister British over here. Mm-hmm. He's got, he needs his Earl Greys. Yeah. <laughs> they don't drink chamomile, John. There's no caffeine in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm an herbal man myself. I love mm. that herb. <laughs> Are you cheating that lounge, John? I am. <laughs> is it <laughs> loud who is? or loud? Yeah, wait, who, I, uh, who cares? We're too white <laughs> yeah. to have this discussion. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of whiteness, uh, I'm going to have to bring the room down a little bit because for my spotlight, I want a spotlight. Uh, sadly, a comedian uh, has, has passed on from this mortal coil. Mm. Uh, this week saw the passing of... Brody Stevens. I don't know if you're terribly familiar with Brody Stevens, but he was kind of uh, he was what a lot of people would characterize as a comedian's comedian, which is basically, uh, didn't really expand out of the kind of stand-up comic role, didn't really get a lot of acting parts. You know, obviously did a lot of behind-the-scenes writing kind of stuff, but, you know, stayed on the grind, toured a lot, and, you know, was always, you could always see him at the, you know, local LA venues. And he was just quite the character yeah. I was introduced to him uh, through Doug Loves Movies which is a podcast I enjoy and just the minute he gets on stage just his cadence and his 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 affect is just so infectious and weird he has like just if you if you get the chance I'll, I'll recommend something specific but just like Google him Look at his stand-up on YouTube. It is just such a delight, and just he, again, he deserves laughs on just his cadence alone. Which yeah, he'll the, remind the you of. rare comic talent who could just deliver, who could just deliver get laughs just by talking. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter what his material was. Like uh, that's that's a rare feat, really. Mm-hmm. And like uh, uh, the other thing that kind of made him quite unique, or like or, you know, I, like there's some comedians who like this, but it's like hostile towards the audience. Like mm. if he wasn't getting the response that he thought he deserved, he would let them know. <laughs> and that also kind of ties back in with his cadence. Like I should I should be getting chuckles on this alone. Guys, positive energy. Enjoy it. <laughs> so <laughs> just such a just such a weird fascinating dude. Uh, he came up with Zach Elfinakis, and they uh, worked a lot together. He actually got him a part in Due Date. Remember Due Date? Yeah, Of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> I believe he was also a collaborator with Todd Phillips and a few other things. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, if I have to recommend one thing specifically, it's the uh, Brody Stevens interview challenge. And uh, the one and mm-hmm. only part was with Zach Elfinakis. and the premise is Brody Stevens is challenged by the Shadow Man that's who he's credited as, Shadow Man, (laughs) 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 to do three tasks during an interview. And uh, in this one in particular, he has to get Zach Galifianakis to dance. He can't make sure he eats any potatoes. And he has to trim some of his beard at one point. Okay.
1: And I mean, the of- trimmy
0: beard, I mean, that seems like the most obvious one. I mean, Zach <laughs> Alphanakis is more than game for anything transgressive or weird, of course. <laughs> but what's great is, you know, with Brody Stevens, just such an over-the-top guy, he can't play surreptitious at all. Mm. <laughs> so it's like one of the challenges, get Zach to dance. You know, it's literally like, hey, Zach, you ever dance? Let's try dancing. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on, you look like a dancer. Let's dance. <laughs> So again, just he'll he'll be sorely missed, and it's just mm. it's such a shame that uh, sadly you know people are only kind of getting invested in him now because he was he's such a delight. Yeah, again, it's really a loss too soon. So thank you, John, for shining a spotlight on a on a comedian that I think uh really deserves it. Now that I'm unfortunately, I again. Sadly, I didn't know him enough in life, and uh, thankfully he's le- he is leaving a legacy and the, the admiration of uh, the whole comedy community. So, exactly. And you live in L.A. You had a chance <laughs> to see him. How dare you! <laughs> You're a bad person. I don't. It's, it's because I'm too busy talking to you or trying to manage a Twitter feed. Or... You can you can go to the Laugh Factory. You I can t- make time to go I, to. I, I, John, I told the you theater? I live nowhere near Mid City. Ah, <laughs> uh, come on. <laughs> That's what Lyft is for. It's 30 <laughs> minutes both ways. <laughs> There's just so much culture, you're not getting in L.A., Greg. You know what? I want you to reorient the whole twitter page towards local la towards stuff. things that, all I is that you, okay i'll be one of eight million <laughs> twitter <laughs> accounts to do that like hey guess what's going on in, in <laughs> i'm at the santa monica pier <laughs> i'm at the laugh factory i'm, I'm at the viper room I'm at, uh, what, I'm i mean at, what about that guy who was tweeting for live from the oscars for the uh, new york times he's like, an actual reporter be, yeah but you could be that guy come <laughs> on I don't want a press pass. I don't want a lanyard. <laughs> he envies no man, Greg. He envies no man. <laughs> that's not true. I'll tell you, he probably envies our hilarious account. Ah, oh, that's absolutely true. Yes. Did he did he um get to write up a column? The the hots, the knots, <laughs> the best, the worst, the woes, the no's. <laughs> the wokest, the brokest. My of favorite the Oscars is, last night? My favorite is always Vox, who always puts in terms of winners and losers. Yes. Eight winners and three losers from last night's Oscars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not uh, 24 winners and four times that, that amount <laughs> for losers. <laughs> that's Hey, let's hey Wonks, that's your actual uh, winners <laughs> and losers total for that one. <laughs> no, my favorite is like eight winners and 17 losers from yeah. the World Series. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> there, there can't be this many takes. No. <laughs> And turns out there isn't. However, nice. <laughs> you should probably still enjoy our social media feeds, huh? Yes. Come so on. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter. Like our Facebook page. Come on. What are Come you on. doing? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Just be like uh, Tony Lip here. You know. Hey. hey, why are you brushing my balls? <laughs> nah. No. They call it Tittsburg. Hey, comedy hey. gold. <laughs> what a character. <laughs> anyway. And then... If you wanna if you have any questions, comments, or recommendations, you can always reach out to us directly. You can just send us an email at AspiringSnobs at gmail.com. Of course. Let us know your thoughts on the Oscars, whether you like the show, mm. whether you didn't like the show, whether you oh, my you share my scorching hot take that nearly every speech was bad. <laughs> I mean, Greg, again, they're exhausted. They uh, only... are they? Come on. It's <laughs> it's supposed to be the biggest night of your life. And you don't even have your like notes prepared. <laughs> Greg none of them are expecting to win that's the other that's the that's the, the, the bullshit. sight <laughs> yet I again reserve that exactly I will, only reserve, win. Everyone exactly. Thought was I will only reserve that for Olivia Coleman okay. who of course thank God she's British she could be charming in that respect no, absolutely. but like Rami Malek like was just like a, 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 a he th- was, imp- was already half- improving up there he's like uh <laughs> my mom you know she's nice <laughs> it's weird that he tripped because he should have been halfway up there by the time they were done reading the nominees exactly. <laughs> And not once did he thank Brian Singer, <laughs> a <laughs> world-class director. How dare... Ugh, no respect in this town at all. No. <laughs> Gay man can't make it in Hollywood. That's that's all moral. Exactly. I, I, You know what? I will be going to that party this Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I guess we should tease our audience with what we're watching uh, next week. Yes. Uh, John, you and I talk in the language of the internet. Mm-hmm. And like totes faves, hashtag <laughs> on it, hashtag winning. <laughs> Am I winning? Am I doing the? Fl- I'm doing the floss dance now. Uh, not Millennials not in Fortnite. Not the way I mean, John. Um, <laughs> oh, okay, I want to talk about a film that's had a cult following and has mm-hmm. contributed to the lexicon of the the internet. Okay, I'm talking about our first ever David Lynch film Ooh. that we've ever looked on for this podcast. I'm talking Mulholland Drive. Oh, I was looking for Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. No, I've, we would have been completely lost. You and I haven't seen a minute of Twin Peaks. <laughs> would that have really mattered? <laughs> I feel like <laughs> the beauty of Twin Peaks is that you can just come in anywhere, and it's like, none of it will ever make any sense. It's above comprehension. Fair. But, John, this was this film was rewarded as one of the best in the new millennium. I mean, we have to see it. We have to experience it for ourselves, do we not? I suppose, I suppose. And no... Yeah. And No time like the present. Exactly. And I don't believe there's a person of color in the cast, so... so. (laughs) And of course, I was kidding. David Lynch may not be the wokest of directors, um, but... (laughs) Wokest, whatever. He needs to He needs to cast, he needs an inclusion writer in his movies. That's what he needs. Yes, <laughs> inclusion. No mention of inclusion writers in any of these speeches, guys. Come on. They, no, but they spoofed it. They, remember, John, they spoofed it? Oh, that's for, Oh, I, I I. don't know. I, hey, I see, you weren't me. even paying attention. No wonder we didn't tweet more often, huh? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the show didn't grip you. It didn't grab me, John. Did no. it grab you? No, it didn't no. grab me. It never grabs me. It's never grabbed me. That's why I'm always complaining about it. I know. Well, I'll take you to Brian Singer's party next week and you'll oh, okay. <laughs> don't worry, you'll be grabbed in ways you never oh, you never thought <laughs> <this> was possible. <laughs> oh, you must be so lonely now. No one wants to come to his party. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, thank you everybody for listening. Until next time. Keep aspiring, y'all. <laughs> I don't know why I said y'all. I don't know. It's fine. It's oh, fine. Again, you're just upset because the cowboys and boots spurs didn't win. <laughs> 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 cowboys and boots spurs. <laughs> Whatever that song is from Buster Scruggs that you love so much. So when a cowboy so a trades cool. his spurs for wing. Yes, and yes, I will admit I was singing along. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: He shouts and he sings When a cat or trees his spurs for